Hi, folks. Welcome to the Wildlife for You podcast, where we usually talk about wildlife and wildlife conservation in ways that make sense. I'm your host, Stephanie Payne, here with my charismatic co-host, Dale Ratajak. Hold on, and- hold, hold, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you already because I was, I was listening to you there, Steph, and did, did you say where we usually talk about wildlife and wildlife conservation in ways that make sense? <laughs> what's, what's going on here? Because you said usually. So tonight, are we not talking sense? <laughs> well, so actually, tonight's topic is courtesy of my dad. And it's a topic that he asked me for, like, I don't know, some time ago, like last year. So the problem is the topic is extraordinarily difficult in and of itself. Um, so, yeah, I might I might actually need your help in making this make sense. Well, then I guess you're the you're the lucky one since since I'm the charismatic and witty one when it comes to these podcasts. And so that sort of gives me the knack for words to to bail you out. So what's what's today's topic, if you don't mind me asking? It is animal emotions. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I can see where where this topic could get pretty murky, like really, really fast. So tell your dad, do me a favor, tell your dad thanks, because if I'm going to spend tonight saving your butt, I'm going to have my work cut out for me. <laughs> well, it's not just you that wants to tell daddy thanks on this one, but I mean, like I researched a lot and it only like barely helped me figure out the problem still had zero insight on any real answer. Oh my gosh, tell me about it. And ju- just so everyone is aware and we're on the up and up, whenever we do these podcasts, we do a fair amount of research. And Stephanie showed me a few of the papers she was reading. And I tell you what, it made my brain hurt. But truth be told, that's kind of why I hang out with her because she's the brainiac and she helps make me smarter. <laughs> and <laughs> Aren't you glad I didn't say it helps make me gooder anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, very good that you're not gooder. You're tired. Anyway, um, I will say that even researching this was difficult from the start. You know, studying emotions, intelligence, psychological things that humans have built words and constructs around to provide those things with perceived meaning. You know, those are what science considers soft. And the scientific method is pretty much built for hard science. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to bail you out really quickly here and, and try to interpret what Stephanie is, is trying to say here, because literally it's critical to understand this right from the get-go considering tonight's podcast. So what she was saying is there are some sciences that we consider hard sciences. And those sciences deal with numbers and theorems and measurements that pretty much are not open to interpretation. And so, for example, in the most basic definition I can think of, when, when, you're, when you're dealing with things like, say, algebra, and you have an equation where 2 plus x equals 4, that means x equals 2. And so it doesn't matter what language you speak or how you were raised as a child or, or even like what experiences you had as a teenager. In other words, all those outside influences, they're superfluous because regardless of your upbringing in algebra, two plus X equals four will always mean that X equals two. 
it's a hard science. And so things like math and chemistry and physics, those are all primary examples of what hard sciences are. So there's concrete answers, in other words. Now, let's dabble in what we refer to as a soft science. And these are sciences where interpretations of things, they can vary amongst people. And so a prime example of that is, say, in psychology. And you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to define what people perceive. And that right there is the crux of the issue for tonight's podcast, because what I perceive as one thing can be perceived by someone else in a completely different way. In other words, what I find pleasing, someone else might find utterly repulsive, like Stephanie, for example. that popped in my mind i thought i was originally gonna like i was thinking pizza maybe but and then soon as i said that repulsive (laughs) i'm just teasing i'm teasing i'm teasing i'm teasing i'm teasing so here it is folks the bottom line is there are some things that are extremely difficult to quantify or should we say like measure and when you're dealing with that stuff that's pretty much when we're dealing with those soft sciences you know, part of me wants to say thanks for the explanation. Part of me is still stuck on repulsive. Um, it fits so well. You, you got to admit, I'm the witty one. It was good. It was good. So when it comes to measuring things like uh, intelligence from person to person, you know, we've gotten, we've gotten decent at that. But when we try to extend our definitions to include other species, well, that's where things kind of start to fall apart. Oh, yeah. Just look back at that podcast we did. I remember we were doing that podcast on animal intelligence. And there were literally tons of arguments about what defines intelligence and whether or not that could even be applied to animals. And then how do we measure that without taking an animal, say, out of its native habitat and thereby skewing your results? It it was (laughs) that one was a messy topic. And if I'm reading this correctly from your opening remarks this one sounds like it's going to be just as bad um worse honestly um for the most part you know we can all sort of agree on you know a definition that could be intelligence when we talk about people um ironically when it comes to defining what emotions are even with people there's actually still a lot of arguments yeah that could be a tough one so well before we get started here what would be your best definition that you found? In your opinion, how do you define emotion? Um, oh, so what is an emotion? So, so descriptively, an emotion is a, a multi-component response, which includes subjective, psychological, neural, and cognitive elements in response to the presentation of stimulus or an event. Um, now, that's that's a brief and probably considered more like a natural emotion versus like a cultured one. Um, so, you know, defined descriptively, that definition is probably even too, too human centric and way too subjective to be applied without ambiguity to non-humans. Can you ever use normal words? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted th- to I make think... sure if you're going to be on your butt, you know, like trying to, you're, to translate. You're going to put me to work here. And I, I think I understood what you just said. And I, let, let me give you my interpretation and we could go back if I got it wrong. But if I read or if I heard my you mind. correctly, yeah, 
what you were trying to say there regarding emotion is it's pretty much your physical and mental reaction to something happening. So for example, say your, your best friend from childhood packs up and moves away. Most people are going to feel sad, correct? Uh, yes, that's one simplistic term for a possible emotion that could result from that event. But here's the problem with that is our reaction to that event is based on our experiences and that's kind of shaped by our culture which is already getting away from trying to define animal emotions because animals don't live with the human constructs that we develop Hmm. well what i'm trying to say is what we humans call emotions is unique to us you know, we invented that term for specific psychological constructs and concepts that humans experience. And, you know, again, even finding a definition for use with ourselves is difficult because it's not simple by nature. You know, there's physiologic elements, there's psychological elements, there's those cultural elements, you know, and again, that's before we even bring animals into the mix. Okay. Before we go further, let's let's back up to that that definition from before, which which you said is descriptive. Are you just trying to be like overly wordy, or is that was there a specific reason you called it descriptive? Good catch. Okay, so actually, it was intentional because we all know that there's two types of definitions. We have those descriptive ones, like you know what you'd find in a dictionary, and then we have prescriptive ones. And so I'm assuming when you say prescriptive, you mean like a definition that includes, say, for example, rules for use? Yes, that I do. Um, and I'd love to tell you that finding prescriptive ones, that that helped. Um, and I, I, I found some per, like perfect prescriptive definitions that we could just plug and play. But I, I can't tell you that. Uh, that would be a complete total lie. So, there, you know, there were a few mm, decent prescriptive ones, though. So what are the odds there's like cliff notes on those? <laughs> Not good. <laughs> um, I, I can try to paraphrase all three. So um, so first we have uh, one from Anderson and Adolf, and they define emotions very broadly as an internal CNS or central nervous system state that gives rise to physiological, behavioral, cognitive, and subjective responses, which they call emotion primitives. So the word subjective in that definition is actually parenthetically stated because they don't expect that all animals will necessarily even produce that component. Um, And I will say when I was going through their definition, it is key to their definition um, to have these four components, these building blocks that are valence, scalability, persistence, and generalization. Please do not make me go into all of those. Oh, trust me, you're good because I couldn't even come close to repeating what you just said, let alone understanding what you just said. (laughs) Okay, so, um, well, that's bad because that was actually a pretty good definition. So then there's this dude named Rolls, um, and he defined emotion as states elicited by rewards and punishers that is by instrumental reinforcers. Now, that one has some potential because it's an operational definition because it's measurable, but still big questions about if those emotions are felt consciously by animals. I can almost begin to understand that. So 
by rewards, what he's trying to say is an animal will work to get something because of like an emotional urge or like punishers, meaning the animal will, will work to avoid because of an emotional urge. In other words, they want to feel good or they want to, they don't want to feel bad. <laughs> yeah. So that sounds vastly different from instinctual. Yes, exactly. Um, but again, the big question is if the animal is conscious of the emotion um, and that for that matter, does consciousness of it make it an emotion? Bunny trail. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Anyhow. So the last one, the last definition um, is I can't remember who it's by. I feel terrible about that, but it's mediated goal directed learning, um, meaning the motivations shift. So it's kind of like um, how you just defined uh, the roles definition above. It's where something is done, say, because it, it's a comfort rather than because it's unnecessary. Okay. Not losing me too much, but where does that leave us now? Sadly, it leaves us with definitions that we could argue over for hours and zero absolute way to measure any of those. No, I could see that. I could, I could choose a definition that I like best, but because... E- Put it this way, even if you and I feel the exact same emotion, it seems like the main problem here is there's no way to measure and see if we're literally feeling those same emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the whole topic is is rife with issue because there's also, you know, the element of this being all by itself a super touchy topic because many people feel that humans are above all other animals, you know, that they were created by and in the image of their deity. So based on that belief, humans would then be the only creatures capable of rationalization and self-reflection. Um, but let, let me, let me just ask you something. Are we going to go into the deity questions? Cause I'm not, I'm not sure I want you to ask me something, <laughs> mm. but go ahead, go ahead, ask away. Okay. Okay. So tell me in your own words, what true anguish feels like. Anguish. Okay. That's well, first, hopefully everyone knows what the definition of anguish is. It's like complete and utter mental torture almost. So truthfully, Steph, I'm I'm not even sure I could really define what I consider anguish because I'm pretty sure I never even really experienced it. And so if I were to hazard a guess though, if I were to experience, how about this? How about if I were to experience anguish, I imagine that it would feel like I would lose all hope where I would literally no longer care about any other thing going on in the world. And I'd literally be so distraught. You lose sense of feeling as in, as in like all feelings, like nothing else matters anymore. That, that's what I would define anguish as. Great. So in the science world, you know, we would sort of consider that a piece of anecdotal evidence. But now here's the thing. Because we are each individuals, we would define and feel differently based on what we've experienced that has caused that. Um, even if all of the circumstances were seemingly the same. So now if we, both humans who know how to use our words fairly well, if we can't agree on what our experience with the definition of true anguish is, and we can't measure to see if, you know, mine is greater than yours, though we know it is, 
then how can we possibly take the concept of feelings that we have, you know, wrapped up into that word anguish, and then measure that in a species that may have a completely different set or level of emotions than humans? You see now, I'm following this. I, I'm feeling much better with <laughs> this last bit of conversation because it's making more sense. We, we can barely, we can barely even describe the terms we use for emotions. What I define anguish as is different than what you define anguish as, as, as well as any other person that we ask. Not, so not that, to mention, if I may, in your definition that, that you gave, you used other completely immeasurable and subjective words like hope and feel and distraught, you know? Yeah, and that's, I told you about going down a bunny trail, but that's literally what this whole topic does. It goes down bunny trails that are just, just so very hard to define. In fact, this is literally the exact definition of subjectivity, where where two people defining the exact same thing, they're defining it in different ways based on our own personal experiences and perceptions. Yeah. Now, I, I will say that I did come across some things when I was researching um, that really made me think, which we all know I love. So, for example, <laughs> what do you think of animals potentially having different levels or sets of emotion based on their, their individual cognitive function. You're at it again. <laughs> I got to put a governor on your brain because you're wanting to speed way past my comfort level. And so your governor would be set at 45 miles an hour. And I know you want to go about 90 miles an hour all the time. So, all right, let's see if I'm tracking you. So re regarding these, what you just described as levels of cognitive function, is that kind of like something how emotions can be both primitive and primal as well as like a different set of things that are like, say, say they're more complicated. So for example, like the, the feelings that you're talking about, they're deeper and they're, they're feelings where you have some, some amount of feeling or evaluated or reflected on. Um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to put it in simpler words, but you use your your definition sounds so crystal clear in your mind. And when I'm trying to figure out what the hell you just <laughs> I do a piss poor job of trying to explain it. But can, can you do a, a better way of explaining it than I just did? Because I feel <sighs> I did a disservice. So I'll, I'll I'll try. I will try to put the governor on, sir. So. Yes. You know, that whole second set automatically indicates, because like you said, um, you know, it, it's, it's more complicated, it's deeper. So it indicates a higher level of processing in the brain cerebral cortex, which obviously is going to vary based on brain sizes and, and the, the complexity of the brain. So one of the hardest elements, uh, in my opinion, is not speculating if animals have emotions but more like if they are conscious of those emotions, you know, do they reflect and evaluate those emotions like that, what you had just mentioned at the end of, of your uh, trying to, yeah, to like they're, they're actually thinking about it. 
Yeah. So, you know, are they stimulated by them? Do they, do they reflect on them? Do they evaluate those emotions and how that they're feeling? You know, do they, and of course, obviously the biggest question that humans seem to have is do animals feel emotions as acutely as a human and in the same way? So I can tell you after just dozens and dozens um, of pages that I've read in defining emotion in any kind of context that allows for it to be observed, you know, quantifiably measured, and then repeat any kind of, uh, you know, experimental to, you know, yeah. So that we could see if it's repeatable, that is absolutely as close as I can think of, of coming to an exercise in futility. So it may be easier. Let me, can I ask you another question? No, (laughs) (laughs) only if it's easier than the last, is it easier than the last? Uh, yes. <laughs> you sound so confident there. All right, fine. Fire away. Um, okay. Do you believe that animals have emotions? Do I believe animals have emotion? Where was this question right from the beginning? Because as soon as you told me the topic of animal emotions, I thought this is what we'd be talking about because this is a wildlife podcast. So, <laughs> all right. Do animals have emotions? Um, and this is my personal belief. Um, well, yeah, I, I believe they have emotions that we just can't understand because we're not that, I mean, put it this way, Steph, tell me in your heart that you don't think your dog has been sad when you went away or is happy when you come home. I I look at my two dogs right now and (laughs) they both could care less what I'm thinking right now. (laughs) Because they're both asleep. But Mine is too. <laughs> I was hoping I'd get like a look of sad eyes or something and, and they're just snoring away. Anyway, j- just like I said, th- I know in my heart that when I look at my dogs and now they come, they, they knew I was talking about them. So now they burst in. So she looks really happy to see me anyway. And, and happiness is an emotion. So Here's the bottom line. It it may not be exactly how we interpret happiness or sadness, but I got to believe that there's something inside them. You want to talk about me with bunny trails? Yes. (laughs) You're like, dogs dogs are ignoring me. Now the dogs are back. They're good. They're happy. They love me. (laughs) She just laid down by me. She's like, I heard you talking about me, dad. Yep. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I think and this is just an I think. This is not science fact by any stretch. This is okay. Just, when you say I think, I'm already saying this is going to be way over my head because Stephanie's thinking. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I think at the end of the day, many animal species are capable of feeling emotions. And for those brainiac types of animals that do have higher cognitive functions, like bears. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Leave it to you to bring bears in. My gosh, what a talent. Um, well, any, so any possibly, yeah, I'm, I'm going to include bears to some degree in that because, you know, they've got some smarts. So I think any of those animals that have higher cognitive functions, and of course, then that's going to be the higher the cognitive function goes, then the closer it's going to be to human cognition. So they likely feel some of these emotions Um and potentially as acutely as the human animal, you know, but also like humans, 
I think that each individual is just that they are an individual. So just as two humans will feel the same emotion and they will feel it differently at different levels and slightly, you know, cause my, my, my happy may not be the same feeling as your happy because we have no way of defining measuring, you know, there's nothing quantifiable about that. Yep. So I believe in individual animals, they are probably very much the same. You know, what your dog feels is happy may be different than what my dog feels is happy. Um, but you know, it's just some animals, just like some humans can bounce back from a devastating loss. Why others are quite literally stuck in a depression eats away at their physical being. You know, we've seen anecdotal examples of this, like when a dog loses its human and the dog lays on that human's gravesite until they literally wither away, you know, it, it, until it affects their health and the dog eventually is, it passes away. But then you see plenty of other dogs that go through a period of mourning, but then they are able to move on. Even if they're not able to, to be their old self, they are able to move on. On the opposite side, obviously, some enjoy happiness like associated with playtime far more than others. There's some dogs that if they think it's playtime, there's no stopping them. But there's others that are like, meh, I don't feel like it right now. So, I mean, I don't know. Does that help at all? Uh, absolutely. And I can, I can so see that individuality, even, even in dogs, because you, you take my two dogs and, and Bristol would be just so thrilled to be going for a ride. She's jumping up and down. And when I tell Brooklyn about her ride, she's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> so, so yeah, j just that same stimulus is perceived completely different by two individual beings of the same species so yep. there's yeah there's no reason to believe that animals don't perceive and experience things differently and feel things differently yep i could just see it now like brooklyn's gonna call it bandit and be like i gotta take my human out for a ride again <laughs> yeah yeah so I, for yeah. go ahead I, I was just gonna say i i was talking to kim delosier you know who kim delosier is from Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And we were talking about bear stuff of all things. And the conversation went to about animals thinking. And and he said to me, he's like, man, I, I just wish we knew what animals thought. Because most people think that dogs perceive them as, oh, I got the greatest master. He's just so great. And he feeds me and he takes me out for runs and he does all this good stuff. He's like, I bet you if we looked in their mind, there's going to be some dogs that just say, well, thank God the lazy butt's finally home. I wish he'd just get me some food. So it, it it just made me laugh because we have no idea what those animals are thinking, but I think we're spot on in that they perceive things differently than we do. So they're, they're all individuals. I, I, you got to admit that. Of course. I, I think that you both give animals with that full set and structure and coherency a little too much credit because I know with my dog, He's like, oh my gosh, what is that smell? It smells like, geez, my ear itches. And oh, that feels so good to scratch yeah. my, is that smell coming from my toe? Yeah, and they sniff their toe. My dog does it too. <laughs> so yeah, I think that, um, I think I think maybe dogs are naturally ADD, you squirrel. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, for that matter though, that, that brings in, into the conversation that every individual, you know, animal, human, it, it doesn't matter has a, a private mind. You know, there is 
no way, for example, for you, Daryl, to know what I am thinking or feeling right now. Even if you could look at me. What? You're wanting pizza. (laughs) (laughs) No. Did I get it right? No. Uh, Go for, go for my second most favorite. Well, actually, so I have three favorites. Pick the, the one that, um, is self-contained. Um, uh, flaming hot Cheetos. Booyah. (laughs) (laughs) See, I knew what you were thinking. (laughs) So, okay. But so my point of all of that is that even, you know, if, if you Daryl could see me right now and watch my facial features and watch my body language, there is no superpower to actually read minds. There is no measurable empath, if you will. Um, even if we were both, again, hooked up to machines that would indicate which part of our brains were firing and how much they were firing, none of that can actually tell us anything about the depth of a feeling. Okay, I totally follow that. I'm, I'm actually following along because, man, in the beginning of this podcast, I was like, oh, this is so over my head. But it's all making sense about how, how differently we can... We can't even describe a single feeling the same way just because we experience things so differently. And that, that kind of leads me to this, this idea of perception. So how in the world can we perceive what the world is like anything different than from what we ourselves experience? And, and I'm going to tell you, I've thought about this since I was a little boy because I remember thinking, okay, you ask someone what what color is that wall over there and they will say blue and you see it as blue but in my mind i'm thinking well what if they're really seeing green but they think green is blue (laughs) and as a little boy i would get lost in these these discussions of how do we know if our perceptions are even the same so we lack the ability to perceive the world as a dog sees it because we're not dogs. Although sometimes I kind of wish I was. <laughs> really? I do. I need to remind you bandit scratches his ear and then sniffs his own toes. No, I, I'm fully aware and I'm fully good with still wanting to be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the moral of the story is that like other human centric constructs, such as intelligence, emotional processes, are made up of many parts and there will be no simple linear relationship between a capacity for an emotion and the the phylogenetic relatedness or complexity. I'm stepping in, throwing a flag, going to try to interpret. (laughs) I think what Steph is trying to say here is there's no easy measuring stick. We, We just can't simply apply these things across each other, much, much less across the various species. So I, I would say trying to discuss animal emotions is about the furthest thing from a hard science there is, and it's soft and squishy. <laughs> well, um, and, and that mostly we casual observers notice and indicate things that we see, you know, um, like, like we, we see stuff, we see changes in musculature, changes in posture, changes in, in a physical activity. And then we infer by relating it to ourselves. Um, you know, and we have to remember our inference is not 
evidence all of the time, um, tangent coming. So all of the time I hear people, they're all, they, they tell me, you know, I've seen an elephant grieve. I've seen a, a dog be, um, happy. So we, we cannot look at those things that we see, those changes in musculature, possibly yep. the way that its eyes look, the posture, the activities, and then infer something and call that evidence. You know, I, it I'm, is. I'm going to jump in. I, I hear that all the time. I'm friends with so many wildlife photographers and many of them love photographing bears. And I can't tell you how many times you're like, you can see the sadness in their facial expression or, or the happiness. And I'm like, really, it looks like that, or they either pass gas. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And so let's be honest, the, the color of most animals eyes is that deep Brown and deep Brown actually provides us a little more opportunity to see things like sadness. Um, just because it's harder to discern the size of the pupil dilation, which oftentimes can be a physiological indicator of an emotion. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, but again, like you and I were just saying, inferring our perception is not evident. I, you know, it's, I can't say that loud enough. Um, it's very subjective and it's completely based on our interpretation and our perception. And we may be right. Yep. Or we may be as wrong as the early dudes who thought that the sea fell off into space. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we just don't have any reliable means to study or measure any kind of emotion without right now introducing subjectivity and completely skewing our experiments, you know, and while our podcast generally relies on science, I think in this episode, we're honestly just asking people to, you know, critically think. Yeah, because the one thing we didn't provide is answers to anything. And and that's that's a good thing. Getting people to think is is a wonderful thing for us to do. And I hope that our discussion tonight actually made people stop and think. Yeah, that would that's. That is absolutely 100 um, percent. If we did that, I think that we can really kind of take some some pride um, and say that we've accomplished something. So I do uh, need to stop if, if you're OK and give a shout out, because sure. um, some of the, the information that I read, there was um, one that was it's a really easy. It's it's a good read. And it's by Mark, excuse me, Mark Beckhoff. Um, and that's if you want some information just do a little bit of research and find him. He did, and, and he does it in some pretty good common language. Um, and a lot of the really complicated papers that I writ, uh, re, bleh, that I that read, you, yeah, that I that I writ. <laughs> yeah. So those were by um, Elizabeth <laughs> S. Paul and Michael Mendel. So I do need to give shout outs to them. They do have some some stellar work out there. Um, and again, it just goes to show how complicated this topic is and how we are nowhere near being able to actually quantify it. Yeah. And uh, you said a key word there about complicated. So I don't know about you, but I think I'm ready to wrap up this pretty darn complicated topic. Yeah. Agreed. So folks, as usual, we would like to say thanks for tuning in as always um, stay on top of what we're doing by following us on the book of faces. That's Stephanie speak for Facebook. And all you have to do if you do get on Facebook is search for wildlife for you and simply give us a like, and then you'll be following us and keep up to date with everything we have to offer you. 
I should also remind you that you could also check out our website at www.wildlifeforyou, all one word, dot com. Don't put, don't type in all one word. It's just wildlifeforyou.com. <laughs> you know, they don't even have to put in the www. That's, that's deprecated. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm old. old I know. I am old school. I'm in the world think- wildlife. No, world wide web. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure you could just drop the school off of it and just stick with I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> hey, you're anyway. I'll be old. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so after you subscribe um, to our podcast, which we recommend that you do on your favorite podcast platform, please um, you know, share the link with your family and friends or even people you don't like, because remember. <laughs> When it comes to wildlife, your knowledge often means exist. <laughs> Why don't you say it? Uh, okay, so remember that when it comes to wildlife, your knowledge often means their existence. Night, folks. My brain hurts after this Wait, one. <laughs> you called me repulsive twice. <laughs> it, it, tell me that wasn't like perfect. Good timing. If I didn't know any better, I'd say I was the witty one sometimes. I know you, 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 yeah, (laughs) especially right now.